welcome to the Less Matters podcast. This is a podcast not just for those people interested in large-scale scrum, oh no. This is a podcast for anybody who wants to know how to make single or multi-team agile work in any product-led or project-driven organisation. I'm Ben Maynard. And with over a decade of experience leading Agile in organisations both huge and small, I am uniquely placed to interview some of the best and brightest minds on topics that will help you be the best Agile practitioner you could possibly hope to be. And in this episode, we unlock some of the secrets to remote working success as we welcome back the Pandadox Agile power couple, Dennis and Yevgeny. These heads of Agile practices share with us their secrets for optimising multi-learning with remote teams, as well as some of their key insights for making team self-design workshops a hit. The best way to make this podcast more enjoyable for everyone is for me to get your feedback. So leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify, or say something nice about us on social media. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Yevgeny. Hello, Dennis. Dennis and Yevgeny, thank you for coming back. We ended the conversation last time when you were explaining a face with certain levels of uh, events in the world, COVID and otherwise. Um, you know, you've gone from being completely offline, all in the same place, to completely not being in that situation. And this move from you know, to being fully remote when we have frameworks such as less, which say that people have to be, well, people should be co-located and that teams, I think it does say ideally co-located somewhere in the less literature, but really, it really angers you towards being, no, we have to be in the same place. And yet that is not a reality for many organisations and it's not been a reality for your organisation. So I'd love to start off this episode by really hearing about your challenges and your journey of going from offline to fully remote at Pandadoc, if that's okay. Yeah, great. Sure. Yeah, so I think that was an interesting challenge overall, and it still is, because uh, we are, I think by the time I joined the company, everyone was already kind of acquainted with the COVID era and all this remote work. So when it comes to tooling, like how to organize so working process, etc., there were no issues. The main issue was and still is about how to organize multi-learning in, in such environment, how to organize the ability for people to collaborate and to exchange their knowledge on a, in a remote setup. I would say that we invest heavily into that in terms of uh, like educating people on the importance of multi-learning and also in, in terms of uh, giving them some slack time to do this. Uh, yeah, but it's it's an extra mile you need to go in, in the online. So you just can't, you can't just like turn around and talk to your mate sitting in the next uh, chair or you can't just like stand up and go together to the whiteboard. Those are the sessions that you usually need to schedule up front. Otherwise, people will start you know, like complaining that their work time is ruined. And yeah, I think our teams are performing quite well in this regard. They tend to hold like uh, architecture workshops together. They, they tend to uh, include people from other teams there. Uh, and yeah, but I, if, if I would have to, like, I don't know, evaluate their efficiency of multi-learning on the in the remote setup even with all the extra things you introduce it would be about i don't know like 70 percent or so not more 
You've used the term multi-learning a few times there. Would you be able to explain that to our listeners? By multi-learning, we mean the desire and ability of people in the organization to uh, learn new stuff and to become better like professionals in new stuff, not in their key specialization. We, I mean, I just, uh, I'm catching myself on the observation that we've been using that uh, damn buzzword T-shape a lot in the organization. <laughs> and this is something we should have definitely avoided because it created a lot of misconceptions. That's so yeah, uh, by multi-learning, we mean that we want people not to be just specialists in, in one thing and like basically suck in other things, but we mm -hmm. want them to have several specializations and we want them to develop those specializations over time if it's beneficial for the product development effort. And so... Uh, For some reason, at a certain point of time, we kind of relegated multi-learning only to the topic of being stack agnostic. So, for example, Java engineers contributing to the Python code base or like uh, JavaScript engineers contributing to Java. Uh, but yeah, currently we are doing an extra effort to make sure that people understand it's not only about, not only about the programming languages you know, but also about skills you possess, like product management, like uh, quality assurance and other stuff, which is beneficial in the product development. Mm. Lovely. Thank you for that. So I know it's a term which is used and I know there's been a, it was a talk by, was it Craig Larman, maybe at one of the less conferences or maybe bars, I can't remember now, but yeah, who they wrote about it as well. So thank you very much for that explanation, Dennis. Yeah, you're welcome. So remote has been achieved, but you're, it's not as effective as being close to your teammates, being able to have that easy communication, that to and fro over sharing of ideas. Have you come up with any interesting techniques or approaches for being able to bridge some of that gap? Well, uh, I, don't, I don't think if we constructed them by ourselves. So, no, I, I will I will start pr probably from, from the another standpoint. None of us before, me or Dennis, had a cool uh, previous experience working online fully remotely with everyone fully remote. So, in some point in time, I worked with the team, uh, for example, a couple of our team members uh, based in the other city but some of them is just right in front of me. So, but in our case, like everyone is working everywhere and that was not done on purpose, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was the situation we discussed on the previous podcast, right? So there was the, like the, for, uh, the Belarusian revolution happened and the people had to move out of the Belarus. And like, we didn't give them option move to one city we told them mm -hmm. guys you can move wherever you want the situation is the following right and someone decided to move to kiev someone decided to move to lviv someone decided to move to warsaw someone decided to move to krakow and that's mm -hmm. happened that a five person out of five in one team moved to different cities wow <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah so it's it's like it just happened right and like You don't have other option and you, you need to learn. And we're still learning how to work efficiently in online. Because like we're using multiple tools. We're using mirror boards, for example, mm -hmm. right? To facilitate uh, cross-team learning. 
And I think we are really, really amazing in facilitation overall. Like we teach a lot of the people in the organization how to do the facilitation properly, like mm -hmm. on industrial level. So we just learned <laughs> almost everyone of doing this, right? Because like, if you don't know how to facilitate, you cannot survive online. But like, even in the small practices, like pair programming is much more expensive in online because the mm -hmm. pair programming in offline looks like you pick your laptop, turn to, uh, to the guy just behind you. And now you're doing the pair programming in online. You need to call and make a call is an effort. You need to check the calendar. You need to book the time if it's already booked. You need to ask, and the person might work on some task and don't answer for some for some time. Like that's a lot of the things that's trivial in offline and like complicated in online. We're getting better on, in, in this, I think, right now. So we are trying to visualize a lot. We are heavily using mirror boards. Uh, we are also trying to practice right now what is called asynchronous communication. So mm -hmm. share some information in written format and let other comments this information, mm -hmm. uh, like the example, right? So we are trying to find a way we are doing it, uh, doing it efficiently. Yeah. I don't think that people really understand that about that extra cost, about how much yeah. more expensive it is. Uh, and it really pisses me off. Uh, excuse me, if you excuse me, excuse my language. When, when, when people make decisions on it or saying about it, when they don't actually have to do it, oh, how how difficult can it be? Well, have you ever yeah. actually tried it? Well, and most of the people that say it's really easy have never been on a team and tried to work in that way and use these practices, and that really does annoy me. Yeah, but like most of the people think that the work they're doing is uh, like valuable in particular task then the person is completing. And if you think in this way, like I completed my task and I'm successful, then online is working perfectly. You're focusing on your task, you've done it. You don't care about the other collaboration with the other people, right? But like in software development, it's really working like this. But I think there are different companies and for some companies where the individual focus on the task is like higher than the collaboration, online works perfectly. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, if you need to build a cool collaboration between the team members, between uh, different teams, nothing can beat online, uh, oh. offline, sorry. <laughs> oh, slip in the tongue there. Yeah. <laughs> but like, maybe some of it is because organizations that like, so don't see the value in having people together and the collaborations because organizations have been designed to focus on individual, to have groups yep. rather than teams, to reward the individuals. And they've been successful doing that. And I'm not judging them. They've been objectively successful operating in that way. So then like, so going remote for them, it's, ah, whatever, it's fine, it works. But then when you've put the effort into designing an organization which hinges upon teams working together, learning together and collaboration, then it makes it really bloody difficult if you're not in the same location so you have to really ramp up those facilitation skills and i think that's a wonderful thing to hear to say that you really said to people you know, to survive in an online world you have to kind of ramp up those facilitation skills i think that's very uh what's the word i'm looking for just a good level of understanding of the challenge yeah but i must say that we were also able to establish some 
quite mature and good teams, even in the, even of those people who joined the organization when everyone already went remote. And uh, one of the things, at least I applied multiple times, is self-design, team self-design, when teams are like able to create themselves based on their potential issues they need to address or potential like business uh, objectives we want to uh, pursue. And there were multiple cases when, of course, we were coming up with some constraints together with the management to like kind of navigate them through that self-design process. And there was someone in the team saying like, oh, but you say we need to work on that and that and that. Okay, so these are the constraints you said, but if you give us like two days to check out the code base and to check out the architecture, we may come up with our suggestion. And like we had cases where the suggestions they were coming up with were much more efficient than somebody than decisions made by somebody on the top. Yep. It's that proximity again, isn't it? It's that understanding of, of, of the reality of a situation. Yeah. I've always had yeah. a I've always seen a real love hate relationship with team self design, not in regards to the event or the practice of doing it, but in regards to the the type of an amount of constraints which are put on the to people who are self designing by the management. Uh, Dennis, I'd love to hear if you've got any tips or guidance or anything from your experience that you think works or doesn't work in regards to those constraints that uh, that you can put on a team when going through team self-design? Well, uh, one thing we tried here, and I think that this wasn't the best application, is like defining the suggested structure of a team based on the like knowledge of certain programming languages and like relation of the like how much work on each programming language language we're going to have. I think this is not the best way. I would focus more on specific domain knowledge or like business context knowledge that teams should possess. And uh, like if, if, if we would have to put constraint on the like people's profile who we need to have in those teams, I would focus more on this because like technical skills, this is something you can get over time. And when we are creating teams, we want them to like exist for a long time. We want them to be long-living teams because this is what creates the opportunity for multi-learning. But business domain context, especially if it's something, if it requires some historical perspective, you can't just develop it overnight. You you, you will need quite some time to do this. So this is one thing I, I probably will change if we're going to do self-design again in the future. And I bet we will because we were doing that each time some team or teams were growing too big and we had to somehow decouple them into a set of mm. new teams. So you were saying there that the knowledge of the business domain or the customer domain is more important than, say, uh, understanding of a particular programming language because that contextual domain stuff is just harder and takes longer to learn than, say, picking up a new programming language. I think yes, of course, if uh, like you have a prop architecture play, uh, in place which is designed around the customer needs and customer behavior, if you have like uh, some other kind of architecture, not something like in a domain-driven design style architecture, then probably that can be the other way around. So it's not good and bad, it's more about uh, what works in our context specifically. Mm. Would you say that the teams are happier or less happy from from their perspective with the shift to remote or is it not an easy question to answer i think it heavily depends on the 
person because some people are more like introverted introvertish some people are more extrovertish so some people basically miss the days when they could come together and we we as a company try to do something to address that so we have some budget for traveling to for people to see each other we also have like each each company member has like a membership in the network of co-working spaces so they can they can just agree and come to the same co-working space at the same day but this of course works only for people located in the same city Mm. Uh, so yeah i don't think there is any single answer i think there are many positive sides of being remote especially in terms of work-life balance but there are also some downsides which affect the business brilliant is there anything else in regards to this flip to remote working that you think is uh, worth sharing with people? Any any particular areas that we haven't delved into? One example that you've been shared about team having like several, some people in the same location and other people having a different location. Like from my experience, not at Panda but in previous companies, that's the shitty situation. Because in this case, you start you start to create silos within the same team based on their uh, based on their uh, location and so if i would have to choose between like like kind of hybrid mode where parts of the team are co-located but the team itself is dispersed or where the whole team is dispersed i would go for the last option yeah then you have a rules inside the organization built in in the way that everyone on the same level so there is no part of the team community in one location and the guys who are sitting somewhere else. I will also add, do not do uh, dislocated teams. This is like a very good general suggestion for you. If you're making the software development, make everyone co-located. Even even though it may be more expensive from uh, the business perspective, that's very hard to calculate the financial losses that organization mm-hmm. may have if you are if you have a team members uh, all around the world because that's like almost impossible to calculate the side effect of such decision and there are many of them like the communication is much much harder and if the communication is key for your business results so you have to enforce the communication. And the only one way to do this is to have everyone sitting in the office. Unfortunately, there is no toolkit in 2022. Maybe you're watching this podcast from 2135. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you're thinking, what is the stupid guy talking about? Uh, we can read our minds. Uh, <laughs> and in 2022, we are not skilled enough yet, and we don't have a proper toolkit to have a presence uh, in the virtual world. So it feels like you are offline. So offline is the best choice for now, unfortunately. I would, uh, many, in many and most situations, I would agree. The last question that I've got, and this is to tear us up for the conversation I want to have in the next episode. Is that some of the less guidance, particularly less huge guidance, will say that try and get your air, the teams in your areas co-located within the same geographic location, because it makes that collaboration within the requirement area simpler. Have you looked at 
kind of asking, forming teams or asking team members who are in the same cities or in the same uh, relatively close geographic area to kind of reform into new teams around the requirement areas? Or has that not been a consideration yet? Yeah, there are such discussions in the company, but this is only the discussions and ideas. There is, there are no... um, like no steps right now in in this particular way. Basically, there was a good chance of doing this because we have uh, large hubs of the employees. This is the Lisbon in Portugal, Warsaw, Krakow, and Kiev. So it's like four locations that has most of the employees. But when the Russian aggression started, the people from uh, Kiev start moving around Mm. the Ukraine. So... Uh, right now, Kiev office is not the largest one, so it's a bit harder to to apply this rule right now uh, in in this particular way. But there are such discussions like, what if we have the people sitting in Krakow, what if they will form a new teams, so they are sitting co-located. There are such discussions, but this is only the discussions. Lovely. Now, it, it was a thought that popped into my head. I suppose it seemed to it makes some sense. It makes I sense. Suppose. It makes sense. Yeah, especially if your people are willing to go back into an office or yeah. you know, or, or live near each other. Maybe you can just go around your, go around someone's house and pair program there. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, Dennis, Evgeny, thank you very much for this conversation. It's thank been you. Practically yeah, useful you. and quite insightful. When we get together for our last episode together in this little series, what I would love to, for us to have a quick chat about is, uh, first of all, uh, area backlogs. Uh, and Dennis, you know, the kind of thing that you're doing in the area backlogs and any challenges you had in defining the areas as well, that'd be wonderful. Uh, and then there's another little question I'd like to ask, which uh, we'll see if we have the time for it. But let's uh, end this one here and then we'll get back together to pick up these uh, this thread of discussion around area backlogs. Great. Lovely. Thank you very much to you both. Thank you. Thank you. What a brilliant episode. I love their tips. I really enjoyed talking with Dennis and Yevgeny, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. So, here's the request again. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It takes a few seconds, and it would do us a huge favour. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to leave a nice little gap here for you to go off and do it. Oh, I can't believe he's asking for a review again. Maybe if I just leave one, shut up. Right, sorry. Oh, right. The Less Matters podcast is the best podcast for anybody interested in product and agility. There are some awesome guests and the host is sometimes a little bit annoying, but he's generally a pretty good sort and knows how to have an interesting conversation. Great, I'll click submit. With the review left, thank you very much. Let's recap the episode. In this one, we spoke to Yevgeny and Dennis, mostly about working remote. We looked at some of the biggest challenges they still face to enable multi-learning in a remote setup. How they invested heavily by giving people slack time to learn. How the problem with remote is that you can't just get up and chat or go to a whiteboard. They have to be scheduled, and this costs more. So, whilst the the team still performed quite well, the efficiency of their multi-learning is much less. How is multi-learning different than T-shaped? How they have pushed multi-learning just beyond the core programming skills. How neither of them had their great experience in working remotely. And what's the secret sources to make remote work work really well? 
We've got a few tips from Team Self Design. I asked the question, has remote working made people happier? We looked at how they chose and created their new teams and how did this affect their remote working? I asked Evgeny in his opinion, is co-located better than fully remote or a mix? And finally, we also looked at how a team's geographical location or a mix of them might affect the area of the product they work on. So that's it. We're going to get Evgeny and Dennis back for another episode. But until then, I've been Ben Maynard. Thank you for listening.